chapter 26. Knights and Squires. The chief mate of the Pequod was Starbuck, a native of Nantucket and a Quaker by descent. He was a long, earnest man, and though born on an icy coast, seemed well adapted to endure hot latitudes, his flesh being hard as twice-baked biscuit. Transported to the Indies, his live blood would not spoil like bottled ale. He must have been born in some time of general drought and famine, or upon one of those fast days for which his state's famous. Only some thirty arid summers had he seen. Those summers had dried up all his physical superfluousness. But this, his thinness, so to speak, seemed no more the token of wasted anxieties and cares than it seemed the indication of any bodily blight. He was merely the condensation of the man. Oh, he was by no means ill-looking. Quite the contrary. His pure, tight skin was an excellent fit and uh, closely wrapped up in it and, and embalmed with the inner health and strength. Like a revivified Egyptian, this, this Starbuck seemed prepared to endure for long ages to come, and, and to endure always, as now. For be it polar snow or torrid sun, like a patent chronometer, his interior vitality was warranted to do well in all climates. Looking into his eyes, you seem to see there the yet lingering images of those, those thousandfold perils he had calmly confronted throughout life a staid, steadfast man whose life for the most part was a telling pantomime of action and not a tame chapter of sounds. Yet for all his hearty sobriety and fortitude, there were certain qualities in him which at times affected and in some cases seemed well nigh to overbalance all the rest. Uncommonly conscientious for a seaman and endued with a deep natural reverence, the wild, watery loneliness of his life did therefore strongly incline him to superstition. But to that sort of superstition, which in some organizations seemed rather to spring somehow from intelligence rather than ignorance. Outward portents and inward presentiments were his, and if at times these things bent the welded iron of his soul, much more did his faraway domestic memories of his young Cape wife and children tend to bend him still more from the original ruggedness of his nature and open him still further to those latent influences which in some honest-hearted men restrain the gush of daredevil daring so often evinced by others in the uh, more perilous vicissitudes of the fishery. I will have no man in my boat, said Starbuck, who is not afraid of a whale. By this he seemed to mean not only that the most reliable and useful courage was that which arises from the fair estimate, uh, estimation of the encountered peril, but that an utterly fearless man is a far more dangerous comrade than a coward. Aye, aye, said Stubb, the second mate. Starbuck there is as careful a man as you'll find anywhere in this fishery. But we shall ere long see what that word careful precisely means when used by a man like Stubb, or almost any other whale hunter. Starbuck was no crusader after perils. In him, courage was not a sentiment, but a thing, simply useful to him, and always at hand upon all mortally practical occasions. Besides, he, he thought perhaps that in this business of whaling, courage was one of the great staple outfits of the ship, like her beef and bread, and not to be foolishly wasted. Wherefore, he had no fancy for lowering for whales after sundown, not for persisting in fighting a fish that too much persisted in fighting him. 
For thought Starbuck, I am here in this critical ocean to kill whales for my living and not to be killed by them for theirs, and that hundreds of men had been so killed. Starbuck well knew. What doom was his own father's? Where in the bottomless deeps could he find the torn limbs of his brother? With memories like these in him, and moreover given to a certain superstitiousness, as has been said, the courage of this Starbuck, which could nevertheless still flourish, must indeed have been extreme. But it was not an unreasonable nature, not in reasonable nature, that a man so organized and with such terrible experiences and remembrances as he had, it was not in nature that these things should fail in latently engendering an element in him which under suitable circumstances would break out from its confinement and burn all his courage up. And brave as he might be, it was that sort of bravery chiefly visible in some intrepid men which, while generally abiding firm in the conflict with seas or winds or whales or any of the ordinary irrational horrors of the world, yet cannot withstand those more terrific because more spiritual terrors which sometimes menace you from the concentrating brow of an enraged and mighty man. But were the coming narrative to reveal in any instance the complete abasement of poor Starbuck's fortitude, scarce might I have the heart to write it, for it is a thing most sorrowful, nay, shocking, to expose the fall of valor in the soul. Men may seem detestable as joint stock companies and nations, knaves, fools, and murderers there may be. Men may have mean and meager faces, but man in the ideal is so noble and so sparkling, such a grand and glowing creature that over any ignominious blemish in him all his fellows should run to throw their costliest robes. That immaculate manliness we feel within ourselves, so far within us that it remains intact through though all the outer characters seem gone, bleeds with keenest anguish at the undraped spectacle of a valor-ruined man. Nor can piety itself at such a shameful sight completely stifle her upbraidings against the, the permitting stars. But this august dignity I speak of, I treat of, is, is, is not the dignity of kings in robes, but that unbounding dignity which has no robed investiture. Thou shalt see it shining in the arm that wields a pick or drives a spike. That democratic dignity, which on all hands radiates without end from God, himself, the great God absolute, the center and circumference of all democracy, his omnipresence, our divine equality. If then to uh, meanest mariners and renegades and, and castaways, I shall hereafter ascribe high qualities, though dark, weave round them tragic graces, if even the most mournful, perchance the most abased among them all, shall at times lift himself to the exalted mounts, if I shall touch that workman's arm with some ethereal light, if I shall spread a, a rainbow over his disastrous set of sun, then against all mortal critics, bear me out in it, thou just spirit of equality which has spread one royal mantle of humanity over all my kind. Bear me out in it, thou great democratic God, who didst not refuse to the swart convict Bunyan the pale poetic pearl, 
Thou who didst clothe with doubly hammered leaves of finest gold the stumped and paupered arm of old Cervantes. Thou who didst pick up Andrew Jackson from the pebbles, who didst hurl him upon a war horse, who didst thunder him higher than a throne. Thou who in all thy mighty earthly marchings ever cullest thy selected champions from the kingly commons. Bear me out in it, O God. <laughs>